Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, I want you to think back to most likely when you're a child, right? And you have that first taste of freedom and just what that felt like. Try to like get into that mindset for a second. Like what did it feel like to like just be able to go and explore the world around you? Um, maybe it was like your backyard or maybe it was your neighborhood or anything like that. Um, for me, that moment happened like the day I got a bike and the day, like there's this moment as a parent and as, (laughs) as a kid where you have the, uh, whatever the training wheels or nowadays like the strider bikes or whatever, but you have the point where your parents are like pushing you along, you know, they're like, it's like a weird as a parent it's actually like very painful you're like hunched over like trying to like hold your kid and the kid's like i want to do this for hours and you're like oh my god like just figure out how to ride a bike please so i don't have to like throw my back out because i'm old and you're like hunched over walking with your kids and there's that moment where you like let them like you let them go or as a kid you the parents your parents let you go and you're just cruising down the street or cruising down your sidewalk And for me, that was the moment where I felt that freedom for the first time where I'm like, whoa, like the wind's blowing in your hair. You're zooming along. You're like, I can turn left. I can turn right. I can go straight. I can go fast. I can go slow. Like I'm in control of this thing and I'm like choosing my own adventure right now. Uh, And it's amazing. Like I love that feeling. Um, obviously like in this podcast, I've talked to a lot of people about trail running and ultra running and hiking and all that stuff, which is all, they're all wonderful things. And I'm obviously like crazy, like head over heels about each one of those activities, but there's something like undefeatable about just riding your bike down a hill, maybe not up a hill. Now that I think about it, like going up hill is tough. These uh, the people I'm talking to on the podcast today. Um, they probably are like going up hills, badass dude. It's super cool. And we're awesome at it. (laughs) But when you're going down a hill and you're just cruising, like you're just cruising along, like there's nothing that beats that. That is an amazing feeling. Um, and it's one that like you almost wish every person can have in their life. Like this feeling of like, Oh, I'm in control of this thing, whatever, whatever that means, you know, like I'm in control of my own destiny here. Um, and it all just gets boiled down to like that feeling you have while riding a bike. Um, so anyways, that was, a that was just something I've been thinking about ever since I sat down and interviewed, um, our guests this week and our guests this week are three of the toughest, like endurance athletes around they are the three three of the best um, long distance competitive bike packers uh, in the United States. They're awesome, and like so. I guess when I was thinking about me riding my bike around my neighborhood, like I did when I was a kid, I got to think about that on this grand scale as as an adult. What is that grand scale? Maybe the neighborhood just doesn't cut it anymore, <laughs> you know. Um, but the grand scale truly is like going on these super long distance trails with all your stuff you need to like 
survive and you need to make it and it's putting the the uh tent you know having a tent having all your food having all your water on your bike and just going out into the mountains and in the wilderness and having the confidence that you know you're adaptable enough to make it through and that's what these three women uh represent uh and i'm very honored to chat with them um and I am beyond honored to welcome back Esther Harani to the podcast. Um, Esther's been on a, a few times before. She's an amazing adventurer and athlete. And I'm truly blown away by uh, some of the the adventures she's gone on. And I, I just love her attitude with like, it's kind of just almost like I'll just I'll figure this out you know like I got this like just this ultra confidence like if I was to like want to like if I didn't know what I was doing and which I would which <laughs> if I'm bike bikepacking I probably don't um Esther would be the person to ask questions to or like look up to because she just has this confidence like no you got this you'll figure it out it might be hard but you got it so we're bringing Esther back on the podcast uh, with also one of my absolute favorite guests that I've ever had on. I put her episode back on for the summer replays um, where I was looking back through some of my favorite ones. Uh, and this one totally stuck out. But Alexandra Houchin uh, is back on the show. And just like a quick recommendation, uh, Free Hub Magazine did a 20-minute short film about Alexandra and it's called Identity and Endurance with Alexander Houchin. And it is fantastic. Like it was a very wonderful, beautiful, like made me cry uh, <laughs> 20-minute film about Alexandra. And I just find her so inspiring and incredible. And I'll always remember the time she told me she fixed her bike using a spork. I'll never forget that in a million years. Like I'll be like, that Alexandra fixed the bike using a spork. How? How is this possible? Um, so I was super excited to have her back on. And then we're bringing on Katie Stremke. Katie has not been on the podcast before. She is uh, just an incredible bike packer. Uh, you know, she's competing with Alexandra. They're going back and forth. It's kind of cool to have them both on the podcast, knowing that they're really close friends and really into this wonderful sport. Uh, but when they're on the trails, they are trying to compete and be competitive and, and beat each other in the race and things like that. Um, I watched Katie's Tour Divide. If you just go on YouTube, right, uh, look up Riding Bikes with Andrew and Katie. Look at her Tour Divide video, and it looks miserable, which we'll talk about. Um, <laughs> just so much range. Um, okay, this is seven and a half minutes into the intro, so I apologize. Uh, let's get into the episode. We are really here to talk about these three wonderful bike packers started a website called the townbicycle.com uh so go to the townbicycle.com and basically they're an organization producing journalism creative writing and photography driven by women in the bike community they have awesome stories i'm very excited uh i was when esther um started posting about this website i was so excited to see what they were up to and the stories they're telling on here are incredible and very inspiring and hopefully get you and I and everybody and women out bikepacking because it is uh, such a wonderful kind of access 
um, to these deeper lessons that we get from adventure. Um, but yeah, so that's enough of me running my mouth on this intro eight and a half minutes in. Holy smokes. I'm sorry. Super long. Uh, let's get right into it, right into it. Eight and a half minutes, uh, (laughs) with our podcast with Esther, Alexandra and Katie. Let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today I am so honored to welcome three of the biggest badasses in the United States. That's what I'm calling you. Okay, that's how we're starting this thing. Uh, Esther Harani, Alexander Hoichin, and Katie Strimke. Did I do it? Did I get all the right last names? C minus. <laughs> yeah, you get a C minus. That's okay. All right, we'll get them better in the intro. Um, thank you all for coming on. I want to talk to you first and foremost just about um, this new project you all have undertaken. Um, it's a really amazing, it's an entertaining website, uh, kind of blog, photo blog, like all of this. Um, and it's called the town bicycle. Um, can y'all just talk about like the genesis of this idea and like where it came from and what you're hoping to do with it? Sure. I can, I can give a little bit of a start. Um, so I think it was sometime last, last spring, really, I had done, a uh 300 arizona trail 300 effort in individual time trial um and i've been talking with katie and um uh another woman chase uh about creating a like a women's bicycle media website or something just we kind of notice that like there's no reporting really on the women's aspect of racing and bike racing and it was just kind of just like this idea where like we should start a website um because there's definitely some fracturing in the community um and that's when katie and esther were hanging out a lot and katie texts me back she's like hey i talked to esther and she's about to get involved and then really once esther got involved it like actually became a thing I guess that's like short. I don't. It kind of. It's like this birth out of a lot of different, a, a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah, Esther. I'm curious because like you've kind of, somewhat over the last few years have. I mean, you're you still do these incredible adventures as we've highlighted on the podcast, but you've also kind of like dove into like storytelling almost with your photography and and all of that. Um, was that part of it? Definitely. Like, I think for me, I, I'm definitely sort of the grandma of the group that I'm, I've been, I started bike pack racing, bike packing racing in 2010. So that's a long time ago. And just have seen it evolve over the past decade plus, like it just to me sort of felt like there was no coverage of the women's races then. And to current day, there just still wasn't coverage of all these amazing things that all these really cool women were doing and it just felt like a really good opportunity to like get these stories told like I really felt like there was going to be interest in all these people or all these women doing these things and it's just like I got sick of waiting for platforms being run by white men to highlight us and so it's like well sort of the uh well if no one else is going to do it for us let's do it ourselves and yeah it just felt a really good time in my life to like 
make it all happen. Yeah. What was it specific? Like, was there any specific stories that really inspired you before taking this on that you're like this, like people need to know these stories? I mean, like everything that Alexandra's done has just been absolutely amazing. And like, like Katie's done like the Colorado Trail yo-yo that she rode from Denver to Durango and then turned right back around <laughs> and rode back again. <laughs> and I don't know, it just felt like there were just a lot like I didn't know about because no one was writing about it. Yeah. And then like I'd meet these women bikepacking doing these cool things. Why is why is the world not knowing about this? The world should know about this. Yeah, so that like was, she, that was my motivation. She just shows up like, "Hey, I yo-yoed the Colorado Trail." And you're like, "How does not every human being know about this? That's crazy." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, that's exactly. kind of what drew me to it. Like when you um, first posted about it and and started started the the stories up and the articles like that's what uh, kind of inspired me was like man these are stories I've never even heard of in the media and just I don't know I think it's amazing what you guys are doing. I think another big part of it for me is that there's in bike media there's a lot of focus on the gear like you can find so many websites that are willing to tell you all about bikes and all about water bottle cages and tires and whatnot. And there's no one, to me, it felt like there was very little about the actual human aspect of like, what about, what about the humans who are actually riding these bikes? Like what are their experiences and what are their feelings and how are they relating to the sport of bike packing? And to me, that's always what was super fascinating. Like, I don't care what bike you ride. Like I care about your story as a human being. And so I wanted to create a platform that, didn't have to talk about gear all the time <laughs> dude i i mean like i don't know anything about bikes or gears so i instantly tune out if people start gear talking you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. uh what about well, you like how'd you how'd you all get involved well i kind of also was um like the bicycle media as it is would highlight like one or two women you know, sometimes, sometimes if like there was a cool woman doing a cool thing, but it was like really one or two of us being highlighted when there's like a whole field of other women doing these other things. And maybe they didn't like get first place, but maybe they endured this or that or the other. And we kind of think those stories are more like super important. Like Esther um, came up with the last woman standing theme where we like, write a story about the last woman finishing a race which is like one of my favorite things to hear about like what does it take to be out there the longest um so just also creating this platform where we can highlight other women's stories because there's not just one or two you know not the one woman who wins the women's race and then whatnot there's like a ton of other women who are doing this and maybe it's their first race maybe it's their second race maybe they have kids maybe they have families like highlighting and telling real stories of how those women participate we hope will encourage other women to participate too yeah yeah um what uh what about like i just want to hear kind of like each of your own perspectives like what is it about the sport that draws you in i mean watching katie watching your video oh uh about the um the uh divide trail you're like the thing that i the one thing that i was like whoa that's insane is you had a you were like this is where i slept last night and it was this like cement 
picnic table and then your tarp like kind of over it because at first i'm like where where and then i was like oh under the picnic table okay like tell me what it is like what is it about that adventure that like draws you all in uh yeah i mean i really love just just traveling by bicycle in general um and um and being able to push my limits uh when i'm doing that uh so bike pack racing is just it's a way to see a lot of different um, terrain and environments and ecosystems um, under your own power. And I also really love the logistics of bike pack racing because it's not always about the fastest person winning. You have to be able to take care of yourself and, um, and have good planning skills too. Yeah. Yeah. What a win it's like, I mean, like I said, during that, that race, it just seemed like it poured rain on you for at least the first week or so that I was watching. Like, what is it about pushing yourself through those situations that you find like endearing or like something alluring to you? Yeah. I mean, for me, like having all of the stuff that you need to get through whatever situation mother nature throws at you is a really empowering feeling. Um, like knowing I can, you know, I have what I need to take care of myself to, um, to get through this is really empowering and like helps me carry that through life when I face difficult situations. Yeah. Alexander. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Feel free to yeah. interrupt each other, by the way, like totally like, <laughs> yeah, no. And it's like thinking and making sure I give enough space to their amazing answers too. Um, <laughs> You know, I don't really know how I got into the the racing aspect of it because I didn't think I was very competitive. Um, and it wasn't, I don't know. I just started doing it and then it turned into, it really turned into like a community thing for me. Um, all of my closest best friends do this thing. And it's like, we have this, foundational friendship outside of bike pack racing but we all have these separate lives and we come together for these races multiple times a year and then we go out and like do this really hard thing together and I trust that they all have their stuff and I have all my stuff and we're doing it separate but like it really feels like this togetherness thing um and i feel really connected to all these people and i'm like oh they believe in me enough to line up with me and compete against me and then we finish and like right now we're at a house where like we've been sharing meals together taking naps in the same space and it just like as much as i go deep into myself and figure out all these things about how i live life it's like the most cool community I've ever been a part of. Um, and it means a lot to me. So I think that's what, at least right now, that's what I'm really feeling. And that's what keeps me coming back is like, oh my God, my friends are super badass. And I get to like hang on by a thread. <laughs> what about you, Esther? I mean, you just self describe yourself as the grandma of the group, but you're like, <laughs> Back in 2010, Hilarious. back in 2010, I was winning races. I'm like, that wasn't that long ago, Esther. <laughs> but it feels like it was forever ago, doesn't it? To me, it feels like it was a whole lifetime ago. Um, so like what drew me to it then was 
I think you're like the sense of adventure and like we didn't really like the sport was new enough that we didn't really know we yeah we there wasn't a whole lot of information out there like we couldn't just go on the internet and download an app that would tell us all the water sources we couldn't really like read a million blogs to like hear about or to like learn about the course or whatever and so it felt very like it felt very new at the time that we didn't really actually know what we were doing and as someone who sort of like my flow state is like at the edge of chaos like that really appealed to me that we just like had no idea and it was sort of fun to like work it out like how do you go fast on these multi-day courses how much sleep do you actually need um what gear do you actually need do you need a shelter do you need a sleeping bag do you need to sleep at all like riding from denver to durango on the colorado trail and so like it felt very like experimental at the time and like no one had set answers of like what's the best way to do it so i think yeah. that like the putting together that puzzle was really appealing to me yeah do you i mean you all would know out of anybody do you need to sleep going from durango to denver yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> A lot, of, a lot more sleep than you think, actually. <laughs> is there any point, like, just speak, I mean, speaking to just the activity in general, like, where you're so tired, it's it gets to the point where you're like, I have to stop or this is dangerous? Definitely. De yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, you like, I've definitely pushed sleep uh, towards the end, like, even this year in this year's Colorado Trail Race. I pushed sleep quite a bit just because I got caught in a storm and then I was trying to get out of the storm and then Anna passed me and then I didn't want her to pass me again and definitely needed to sleep, but didn't sleep, but should have slept, kind of slept, but made it to the finish, but only because uh, strong, a strong brain, strong brain that I, could, I was able to remind myself of like the differences between reality and fantasy, but you definitely sleep is really important. And when you start to push the sleep too much, things get pretty weird. Take us into your head there, like describing, you know, that just sounds like really weird and trippy almost like how do you tell what's like fantasy and reality at that point? I mean, I remember less about like the fantasy and reality stuff like this year's Colorado tra Trail Race, but I yeah. did this race in um, Minnesota. It was like, I was like awake for 70, just a little bit over 70 hours. And I remember like being a little- the Look on Chris's face right now. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm... See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I really want to do bikepacking. And yeah. then you, you all take bikepacking to like, the extreme and it's it's amazing to me i'm like truly amazed that's a racing i mean you can bike pack and you don't you can sleep 12 hours a night and <laughs> go out to restaurants and like have a lot of fun which we do in our yeah when we're not racing we all have fun bike packing yeah um but when it gets like uh i remember being super sleep deprived and feeling like the trees were like grabbing me but like be like dude the trees aren't grabbing you it's okay or when you hear voices and noises um usually it's like or oral like a r a u r a l yeah um sound like sounds that'll start to hallucinate like sounds of people saying stuff to me or you hollering um so i'll just have to be like hey i know you're super tired this isn't real but like 
in most cases, I I think you should just sleep. I don't recommend. Yeah, pushing. Like, I don't. I don't think that's good for our, the long term of us. Anybody like bike pack racing? I just don't think like getting delusional, hallucinating, and then putting yourself in unsafe situations is just like not good for the sport, not good for your body, not good for the race directors. Um, so I try like. I don't know. And I think that's like a shift more as I'm getting a little older where I'm like, eh, you really need to like break your body a hundred percent to do well in these races. Like you can make up for that and fitness, I think. Yeah. And no one in your hallucinations are like cheering you on, right? Like you're not like, I saw uh, an <laughs> elephant on the side of the road and it was going like, go Alexander, yay, you got this. No, sometimes it's like weird. One time I saw this dude like in a flannel, like petting puppies in a cage. <laughs> I was like, huh. What? What that, that might have actually been a person in the middle of the wilderness. Like that's, yeah, that checks out to me. He's like on the side of the road in a cage petting puppies. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. Well, can you guys, I, one thing I liked, I just read your Arizona trail post uh, today, um, Esther, and I really liked I like that you were highlighting the start line nervousness and you were just taking pictures of like the weird things people do at the start line. Um, can you all tell me like, what is the start line for one of these events like? And then I want to compare it to a finish line because I have a feeling they're pretty, pretty wildly different. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean you're all so polite. You're like, waiting. <laughs> Uh, I'd say it probably depends on the race and, um, you know, a lot of these races are underground. Um, so they're, they're not like permitted or official. So depending on the race, you might have to just like get there and then get out of there for the start. Um, and then other races, like, um, for the Arizona trail, it was really cool. A lot of people camped out there. Um, just on the uh, Arizona-Mexico border. And um, so I was there too. I didn't race, but my husband did. So I got to witness all that. Um, so it was a cool sense of community before the race. But a lot of times you just show up, um, you know, a few minutes before the race starts and then everybody's like, okay, go. And then you <laughs> may or may not see people the rest of the time. Um, and then the finish lines, it might just be you with nobody there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. no, or, um, you know, we've kind of started building up this uh, friend community a little bit more where um, we try and support each other when we can at the end of these races. Um, yeah. So being able to, uh, you know, set up at the end of the Colorado Trail or the Arizona Trail with food for whoever just got done because, you know, they're probably out of food. And they're probably low on water because they just plan to get to the end. Um, and then to hear their stories and their impressions of the route right after um, right after they're done is really neat as a spectator. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also cool uh, when people are there to acknowledge what you've done as a racer as well. Yeah, but no. It, there's also something special about like showing up to an empty parking lot when you're done too. So <laughs> I want to, yeah, that's what I want to highlight. Cause you know, you like, for example, Alexander, you just finished an 800 mile Arizona trail race. 
like that is a huge life accomplishment i'm imagining like a huge athletic accomplishment and you get to the ending and this is what esther wrote hold on let me bring it up (laughs) alexandra had been standing by herself in a cold dark and empty parking lot for several minutes which on some level is kind of funny given that we'd been watching her dot on the gps so closely all day like isn't it good for your ego to have that a little bit like it's a tiny bit good for your ego and also to know like i was intrinsically motivated to get through this like it's not the people cheering me on at the end that's really ultimately getting me through yeah i mean when i started doing these races like my the very first tour divide i did i finished to nothing there was nobody there (laughs) I, I bought a pop at the pop machine and drank it by myself for like 45 minutes until the next person who finished showed up. And then some other people eventually showed up like an hour or two later. But most of my ultra racing career before the last two years that we've been building our friendship family um, have been finishing races to an empty parking lot where you're like, okay, now yeah. how do I get back to the to civilization or whatnot? So I mean, it's, it's cool. It was really fun to be able to finish. It was just like old times for a second, you know, then all of a sudden all these like dark figures come walking out of the shadows. <laughs> You're like, is this real? Is this a real thing? <laughs> like, am I hallucinating? Yeah. No, but it's really great. I think both ways uh, to have it. Cause then you're like, yeah, I just did this for myself and nobody will ever really know. But uh, over the past couple of years, uh, we've pretty much had a welcoming committee at, at the end of the Colorado trail and, um, and some of the other races that we've done, which has been really cool, especially for like newer riders coming into it to see that they're supported. And I think that'll be, a, that's a good way to help, you know, grow the sport too. Um, in the sense of like women riders, like, Hey, we're, if we're racing, we're there too. And we'll be there at the finish for you um yeah yeah it's funny that you described it as such like a community as the community aspect was like really important to you and it's it's interesting that once you start going sometimes you might be by yourself for days even on some of these can you kind of speak to that like is the community formed afterwards through the sharing of stories with one another or is it formed like on the trail itself I think it's formed both in both ways. Like for some, for races, like the tour divide, I th- like you were, I ride with a lot more people on and off um, occasionally, but like the Arizona trail race was completely, I mean, pretty much past the second or third day, I never rode with another person again, but there's like moments you feel them on the trail or you find something somebody dropped or you can see their dot and you know that they're like 20 miles ahead of you and you can catch them. But, um, it's, I think it's formed before the race and all the preparation during the race. And then especially in this after race where we're just like yesterday, we just watched videos of everybody's you know, everybody recorded some footage of themselves in the race this year, and we were just sharing that together. That's cool. Yeah, no, that's super cool. Esther, I did want to hear a little bit about what it's like trying to document 
an 800 mile race through Arizona, you know, like you mentioned in your, in your, uh, article, try like the challenges of that, like logistically, it just seems very hard. Uh, I thought you did a really good job by the way, um, which is awesome. And I'm sure they enjoyed seeing you out there popping up, taking pictures, all that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's super fun and it's definitely super challenging, but because racers never do what you expect them to do. So you're what I'm working off of. If in best case scenario, they have a tracker on them that's pinging every five minutes and the delay on that ping is probably two to three minutes, okay. um, even on top of that. So it's like, it's a rough estimation of where they actually are. And then you have people who don't track well or their batteries die or this that happens or that happens. And so it's not, it's definitely not an exact science, but since I've ridden, because last year I also took photos and sort of like started to pay really close attention to how long it takes people on average to get between point A and point B. And since I raced it before, I had like in my head, well, it took me this long to get from here to there. Yeah. And so I could, I could even like a few days or like a few days out being like, well, it's going to take them if they're here at like mid afternoon, they're going to be at the finish two days probably middle of the night and those estimations actually like within a few hours tend to be fairly spot on um but it's just the uh, large scale tend to be good but then on small scale if someone stops for a snack for half an hour i can be sitting there like in golden light and like where's the rider why aren't they coming and then it gets dark and then they like roll by and i'm like well that didn't work out but <laughs> They're like, sorry, I had to snack. Sorry, sorry had to after. snack. Took sorry, I messed up yeah. your day. <laughs> I know, right? Um, and so it's like, I have enough like knowledge of the route and like the general speeds of people that I can get pretty good ideas of where I, where I want to be. Yeah. And I also know the route well enough that I know the pretty spots and like the photogenic spots. So it's just a matter of like a little hope and prayer that people are going to be where I want them to be. <laughs> but yeah, I try to make my, like the photography as unobtrusive as possible. It's like, I really like at most I'll see a person once a day. Like I won't try to track people down more than that. Yeah. So it's like for me, it's really important to not affect their ride any more than I will. And it's like most of the time, like in all, like most of the women probably like of the 20 encounters I had with the women, like throughout the entire Arizona trail race, 800, I think only like one of them stopped to talk to me at all. Like the rest just rode by and like kept on on their day. Focused. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just totally focused. And so it feels like I'm not hugely influencing like anything out there by being out there. And that's, that's really important to me because I don't want my worst fear is that someone has an amazing race and then I end up with photos of them. And then the community questions whether, I was out there too much taking too many photos. Mm, that makes yeah. sense. So if you have like 50 photos of someone and then they like set the record or something, they might say somehow that was supporting or something. Yeah. And was Esther out there giving them food and water or was Esther providing like some sort of support? And so it's gotcha. really important for me to like take pictures of everyone as equally as possible and to, yeah, like not meet up with them that many times yeah and so it makes like the photo site selection really important because like i have one shot per day 
Dang, that is, Don't mess it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I saw the one in the Grand Canyon where you have to throw your bike on your back and hike through the entire Grand Canyon, which is like North Rim, South Rim, all of it. And you're waiting for someone on the bridge. And right when they're walking, you're like, this is going to be awesome. They're going to walk across this bridge. It's going to be sweet. And then some other hikers come right at this shot. And you're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> That was a moment. That was a moment of, of irritation for sure. Was there four <laughs> letter words being uh, flung about by Esther then? Quite potentially, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really was like such a cool shot. And then it's like these two big groups of backpackers who like when I had like gone in from the North Rim to meet up with Anna, probably like 2000 feet down, they had just started down behind me. Yeah. And I was like, well, they're going to be here. But like, what are the chances that like Anna and them are going to intersect at the exact like space I want to take a photo? And as it turns out, it did. Um, <laughs> there you so, go. That's but crazy. it's like it's it's part of the part of the fun. It's part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. What Um, I was curious about this, like, what do you guys think brings people and I mean, you could talk in general, uh, just anybody to this sport specifically, or if you want to just talk about women, um, especially with your focus with the town bicycle, like what, is there any commonalities that you're finding amongst the people participating in this or does everyone kind of have their own, you know, like uniqueness? I mean, I'm, it's probably both honestly, like, but is there anything in common that you're finding amongst people's stories? I think in talking to women, the commonalities that I'm seeing is that there's common barriers that are keeping them from doing so. And one of the big ones is like being afraid of being out there alone and camping alone. Yeah. And it's something that I think everyone experiences both genders, but women feel much more vulnerable than men do because of our societal training. And so it's, I think if, women can get over that fear of camping. I think that would be a huge like barrier to bring down in getting women in the sport. And so, yeah, I don't think there's commonalities between like, I mean, there are of what bring people to the sport, but I think there's commonalities in what is keeping people out of the sport. Yeah. One thing that I notice about um, a lot of people who, um, who participate in bikepacking and um, bikepack racing in particular is that they were invited by somebody. So one of their friends told them about a race or said, Hey, you should come do this. I'm going to do this too. Um, and, um, and it doesn't have to necessarily be invited by another woman, but just another person said, Hey, you should come and try this. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, I mean, that might maybe, uh, make the comfort level a little bit better. I don't know. Like, is that what you guys think? Like if, if, if someone's inviting me out now, I at least know one other person out there with me on the trail. Yeah. And then you have somebody to like bounce ideas off of, or be like, Hey, can you help me get to the start? Or just, yeah. Just knowing somebody makes a huge difference. Cause when you line up at a starting line with a bunch of very there's some like super racery looking people and some not so racery looking people and then all the stuff in between it's kind of hard to like figure out where you belong by yourself um if you don't know anybody yeah yeah but everybody is totally welcome in all those spaces but it's just i 
I could definitely see it being it was scary for me when I first started. Yeah. Is there hopes with uh, this project that you're, you know, sl- going to help women feel more comfortable doing the sport or bring down some of those barriers, Esther? I mean, that's the hope, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think too, just sharing stories, I mean, and being, you know, like people hearing that you all have done this and, what you found from it and the passion you've drawn from it, like that might inspire people as well, you know? I mean, even just seeing like Esther's photos, like I would even just sign up for a race just so that I could get a cool picture of myself from Esther (laughs) in the most beautiful place. Like, holy shit, they're amazing. So um, just knowing that I think maybe, hopefully knowing that you'll be seen yeah um, in some capacity out there um hope hopefully we'll get more people out more women out like we see you it's important to feel seen in this world yeah for sure um esther what do, do you like is that something kind of i mean what do you feel when they say that about your photography because i never really thought about that but that's exactly how i felt just an hour ago looking through through the most recent post, I was like, man, one, Arizona's incredible, but to be way out there, like that must feel amazing. I mean, it makes me a little like teary for <laughs> <laughs> being honest. Um, I, I think there's a lot of power in photography and sharing someone's experience and sharing um, what it's like out there. And I do try to capture that in my images. Like I try not to, I mean, I want to do, I want to do like cool action shots, but I think like capturing the landscape is also like super important and showcasing the trail and the natural environment and how we are interacting with that environment as we're racing across these trails. Um, But yeah, like the idea that someone could look at one of my photos and then be say, I want to do that. And then show up at a race start is like, I've done my job. Like I'd be super stoked if someone came to me with that origin story of their bikepacking racing. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I want you guys to just geek out about bike racing or bikepacking for a second. Um, so I want to hear uh maybe some intense stories or some stories of accomplishment or like what have what like experiences have you had? either together on the trail or, you know, on different trails. Like, I just want y'all to geek out about it for, for a little bit. And then I'm just going to sit here and go, whoa, that's insane. Katie and I did a a race against each other. It was like pinions and pines a couple of years ago where I like, at first I was like totally nervous. She would beat me. Um, so I was like, Hey Katie, do you want to race as a team? She's like, no, <laughs> I don't want to. Um, and then she went on to totally win by like a lot, like 12 hours or a whole day, or I can't remember. But she kicked my ass and I like, I ended up having some breathing troubles and I had to walk up every hill and I built a, like <laughs> in the forest, I took, it was so cold. I didn't bring no sleep kit. And I built like a little lean-to shelter on the side of a tree and like curled up in it and made a bed of pine needles. 
but uh, her and Andrew were at the finish waiting for me to spot. Like, I didn't think, I did not expect them uh, to be waiting for me, but <laughs> that was one of my first uh, monumental where I was like, I wanted to quit, but I also like didn't want, I want, I respected Katie enough as my competitor. Like, I wanted her to beat me. Like, if she was going to beat me, I didn't want to quit. I wanted to cross the finish line so she could like beat me legit. Um, and I remember like dealing with all of that internally. I'd won a lot of races before that um, and wanting and respecting my competitor so much that I was like, I don't want to quit. So she yeah. wins. I want to, I want to finish and whatever it takes me to finish. Um, but I remember that race was, that was a doozy. Where was that at? <laughs> in Where, flagstaff arizona okay and yeah. like what what's the distance and all that uh that one was 300 miles right yeah yeah i think it was about 300 miles there was a 20 percent uh, chance of rain and um i was the only one in our friend group who was planning on bringing rain pants like i always bring rain pants no matter what even if it's not gonna rain like they're good for warmth or whatever and then I got talked out of bringing rain pants. <laughs> it's not going to rain. There's only a 20% chance. And then it rained for like 12 hours overnight. And it was so cold. And I was really mad at my friends. For <laughs> and Alexander's just riding pants. by full rain gear. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. You bring the rain, it sounds like, you know, after watching the tour divide. <laughs> Like it just seems riding in a pouring rainstorm sounds absolutely miserable to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's, it's fun at first, as long as you don't get too soaked through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's okay too. Sometimes, sometimes it's like a secret weapon. Like yeah. when some of the other like less tough people can get rained out and you can like stick through the rain. But when it's like, I can't even imagine 16, what, 16 to 19 days on the Tour Divide of rain. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Is that what it turned out to be? Spoiler alert to the yeah. video I was just watching and I haven't Spoiler. finished. Yeah. 16 out of 19 days. Yeah. <laughs> That's miserable. I don't like, okay. So day five, you wake up, it's still raining. What, what's the self-talk to yourself at that point? Um, I mean, I was just really committed to, to finishing it. Like that was my number one goal. Um, as long as I could go faster than I, I had toured the route before, um, then I wanted to finish it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and kind of the thing that Alexandra said, like, this is kind of my secret weapon. Like I can handle bad conditions. I can handle the rain. Um, so you kind of have to have that kind of a mentality if you know, the weather's going to be bad. There was a point in your video where it had just rained a whole bunch and then it cuts to you just being like, I am so grateful that these people with the llama farm were there <laughs> and you're just like listing all these great like things you're grateful for. I'm like, this is a total strategy right now. This is a total <laughs> mind strategy. <laughs> yeah, I, I do definitely experience a lot of uh, a sense of gratefulness when I'm out there for sure. I mean, yeah. those uh you know you have really high highs and really low lows a lot of times and a lot of times those highs are are um you know paired with just this overwhelming sense of gratefulness yeah yeah and it can get you out of the lows probably yeah 
Sometimes yeah. those lows are, I mean, oh man, I've had some, I had some high, hot, like my highest highs and then also my lowest lows just during this last race. But like Katie says, gratitude is, I think that comes back to me the most. Like every day I'll get emotional about like that my body is doing this, that I have all the tools I need to do this, that I have the time and space to be able to do this. Like so many other people don't get to just go ride their bike for two weeks in the yeah. desert. Um, so yeah. lots of, lots of gratitude out there, whether or not you're like high or low, even when I'm low, I'm like, I'm so lucky to be here. <laughs> yeah. I chose to do this, I guess. Yeah. Often <laughs> that. I'm ch I chose to be here. Yeah, what were the highest highs like out there um, on the Arizona Trail? You know, for me, this year on the ACT, my highest highs came around um, climbing out of the Salt River into the Mazatal Mountains. I love that section of the trail. Um, it's just like outside of Phoenix, a little north of Phoenix. And last year, I had gotten to it like at 11 in the afternoon in the heat of the day, and I ran out of water, couldn't ride anything because it was too hot. Um, pretty ha had a serious breakdown where I was like I can't make it to the top and this time I got to the base of the climb around 4 p.m and the sun had been uh behind all the mountains so I could climb in the shade and I was climbing everything I was riding up everything I felt like a bird I felt like an eagle I just felt so cool and so fast and so strong and I rode until like one or two in the morning felt so great um but then laid down and looked at the track I like I told myself I was gonna sleep for four and a half hours I was like you're gonna get some good sleep tonight and then I looked at the tracker and saw that Anna was moving and I got up at like two and a half hours of sleep which after working so hard all day was not enough and about <laughs> Eight hours later, I had like the worst bonk that led into mechanicals that led into like, it was like an 18 hour, like making myself move forward, even though everything inside of me was just like, duh, I wanted to quit uh, pretty bad. So it went from like, felt like I had wings to felt like some, like I was dragging 500 pounds of something <laughs> in my bike. Um, yeah. And it was just all in the matter of like, hours that's crazy i mean it's almost like a reminder that that can that nothing is permanent i guess where it's even the joy isn't permanent and neither is the complete dread of dragging 500 pounds or feeling like it like i don't know i feel when 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 i think about adventure that's something that draws me to it is is that reminder and it sucks when there's a low moment but also you gain that perspective where it's like, I can get out of this, you know, it's going to change eventually, you know? Well, that's a beautiful part about it. It's like, you can t you take those highs for granted for sure. But being able to like be there and be present and get yourself out of that low and dig yourself out of that rut and come back to life. Like you die and are reborn a million times out there. Uh, yeah. That's where I think the strength, from the trail permeates into everyday life, into our real lives where things are hard sometimes, but you know, we'll 
will come out of it. I'm writing down die and be reborn a million times out there. I think that's cool. I think that's so cool. Um, uh, what was it like? You So you all did uh, the lemon push. Am I saying that right, Esther? Push, lemon push. Okay. And then you climbed Mount Lemon in the middle of this. Yeah. So, with your bike. Yeah. Like, that's so cool. It was epic, man. It was <laughs> like, you know, I anticipated it being way worse than it was. Um, but it was just so beautiful. You know, and the thing, I never really realized how significant the highway riding was until one year I did a southbound effort. And there was a snowstorm, so I ended up having to ride the highway down instead of the trail that I was planning to. Yeah. But it was just like jet. It was just like so fast to ride the trail down. And you're like, I know, or to ride the road down. And you know, all this trail exists on the other side. And it's a trail race. And I was like, oh, it just doesn't make sense. So um, it's been a couple of years. A handful of us have been talking about like the idea of pushing up Mount Lemon via trails. And it was definitely hard. I'm not going to lie about that. I ended up having to take all the bags off of my bike because my bike was just so heavy from lifting it up. Yeah. But um, after putting the bags in my backpack, my bike was a lot lighter. Um, and it's just slow, but it took like, I think from bug spray, like the turnoff all the way to the top, it took me roughly 14 or 15 hours to push up the highway or push up Mount Lemon, not yeah. via the highway. And I think if you pedal up, it's like three hours. Okay. Um, but like, you don't think about that pushing your bike up the hill. You don't want to think like this would have only been three hours. <laughs> yeah, but I, it was like so beautiful and there was water and it's just like thinking I'm just getting stronger and yeah. there's no cars and barely like the only people you see are people who are into the same thing you are, you know, that's like hikers. Summer Haven and the rest of Mount Lemon is kind of a circus. And it's like, after being in so many remote places for so long, you get to that and you're like, holy shit. Like you want to get away from all of that yeah. noise. So it was super awesome. It was that's hard cool. work. It was hard work, but like, I'll do it again and again. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend. Yeah. That's all. Have you ridden down many mountains before? I, I rode down. I've ridden down that before. Oh, okay. Sweet. So like in the spring, I do an eight, like I do the Arizona trail in the, the lower 300 in the South direction. Yeah. So I wrote it. My first time was riding it last doing it during the AZT. was my first time last spring. Um, <laughs> nice. That's so I feel cool. like, I feel like listener. Am I on mute? No, no, no not muted. Like listeners need a little background on this because if you don't know the AZT, the last three minutes probably made zero sense. But, it's <laughs> yeah, part <of> professor. <laughs> but about a hundred miles into the race, so north of Tucson, there's a big mountain called Mount Lemon, which is goes up to like nine thousand feet. Yeah, maybe give or take. And the way that the race is routed is just up the Catalina Highway, which when Scott Morris created the race, like Scott Morris is known for being, including everything ridiculous, he deemed these trails that paralleled the highway too hard to push up. So he just routed the race on the highway instead. 
and said, I don't want to make people hike their bike 12 hours up these trails. <laughs> and that's sort of been the president um, for the past, I think, 15 years or however long the race has gone. And so this year, Alexandra and four other Looney Tunes, um, <laughs> single speeding crazy people decided that um, because the, these trails are actually part of the official AZT bypass, like it's a wilderness bypass that goes around um, the Mount Lemmon Wilderness or whatever it's called. And so they decided that since it's official AZT, they should do it. They should just put these trails and that should be the thicker route. And they did it. And it was amazing. And I know that Scott was absolutely blown away that they actually did it. That was my that was my next question, Esther. I was going to say, did you turn to Scott and say, see? Like, see? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, he was like when the first person started up the trails, he was like, they're actually going to do it. And I was like, yeah, they're actually going to do it. <laughs> and it's funny because of the nine people who finished the Arizona Trail 800 this year, Eight of them were on single speeds and five of them did this extra lemon push alternates. And so I think it sort of speaks to well, the general level of crazy of the people who finished this race. <laughs> really, yeah. I think that's what it speaks to. <laughs> it truly does. Yeah. That's very appropriate. One, well, Alexander, I know last time we talked about single speed um, and you kind of mentioned the advantages to it i guess which is which i've i've thought about ever since you mentioned it like i've and i've never ridden a single speed but i have been like every time i shift my bike i am like alexandra said single speed is actually the way to go like can you just <laughs> mention that one more time and then i want to hear if you if uh if katie and esther if you uh, uh agree with it well, Katie writes single speed too. So oh, well, so I agree. Katie's she's not the Kool-Aid man. We're dishing it out. <laughs> All right, Katie. Then I want to hear Katie's perspective. Yeah, what is it about single okay. speed? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of reasons why single speed like kind of makes sense, but mostly it's just that a lot of us who ride single speed just like really enjoy it. And that's just what riding bikes is to me. Yeah. But I mean, if you want to argue like why it's a good idea, <laughs> I mean, it is definitely simpler and you have less risk of uh, having mechanicals. Um, uh, like when you're mountain biking, a lot of times you're just always in the right gear to get going. Um, you might have to push a little bit more, but sometimes in these bikepacking races, it's okay to get off your bike and walk. Um, like it gives your butt a rest. It gives your it, it keeps you from like trying too hard, um, yeah. to make it up really steep stuff. Um, and on a lot of single track races, I feel like it's not really slower. Um, because a lot of times, uh, if you're good at riding single speed, like you're riding pretty much what the geared riders are riding. That makes sense. And it builds like the leg strength, right? Cause you can't shift. Like you just have to push through sometimes where you might shift otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us probably have bigger than average quads here, right? <laughs> <laughs> on a regular basis. Yeah, like quads like this. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. I'm total like I have biked and I like mountain biking and things, but I don't know a lot about it. So every time I talk to you all, like 
I'm learning so much and I'm probably asking like a lot of dumb questions maybe. Um, no. I, I really am like fascinated by it. Yeah, single street, it's, I mean, whatever gets you on a bike is cool, but it's like cheaper to start, like set up a single speed. You don't need all the components that are necessary. Um, and then it's just really, it's a direct drive. You know, it's like you push the pedal forward and it's driving this one chain ring. Yeah. So it's easier to feel pretty connected to it, or I feel pretty connected to it. And um keeps me honest about my fitness you can't really I always say you can't fake your fitness on a single speed because you can either ride it or you're walking um and there'll be times where I'll be riding a trail where I could ride you know 75% of it but now like I can only ride 50% of it because you know I'm less fit so it helps keep me honest about my fitness and my ability and keeps me humble yeah so is this kind of like the wrap up of the bike biking season? I mean, I know Alexandra, you, I don't know if you're going to take on Tuscobia and all those uh, winter ones. And if you do, you need to invite Esther to like be out on the trail, full on like Arctic <laughs> gear, taking pictures. But um, is this kind of like the wrap up of it? Yeah, this is, it's been a busy year. So I think for a lot of us, it's the end of racing season. Um, so I'll recover for a couple months and then start getting ready for next year. Yeah. And then Esther, what's, uh, what's the next plan? Like what's the plan over the kind of the quote unquote off season, um, for the town bicycle? Um, we're going to tell stories. There's so many stories to be told that aren't related to racing at all that were actually the stories that I'm the most excited to tell in all honesty of people just doing cool trips or having cool relationships with bikes. And we have a bunch of really exciting stuff lined up that has absolutely nothing to do with racing. Yeah. So we're just going to keep on trucking forward. That's amazing. Who came up with the name, by the way? It was Chase Edwards, who um, was originally... As a joke. <laughs> yeah. Well, be, because you, Chris, you understand, do you know the second meaning of? I do. And it's like a saying from yeah. like the 1950s is what I wanted to say. Like, it's like a night, isn't it like a 1950s saying? That's I like, that was like a small ski town, Colorado saying. Oh, really? I thought it was total like Midwestern, like, you know, small town kind of deal. And yeah like old stuck up people, you know, in their houses would be like the town bicycle to do like, I don't know. <laughs> or is this like a, a PG rated podcast that we can talk about it a little bit? It's like a definitely like PG 13. Like, okay. you know, you get one F bomb, uh, movie okay. and all that. Yeah. So c- can we talk about the name a little bit? Of course. Yeah. I'd love to talk about the name. Totally. So for those, for, re- <laughs> for readers who don't know what, a town bicycle that's a term that's co- commonly referred to as a promiscuous woman in the sense that every small town has a sort of a community bicycle that sort of sits around town and people use it to get to wherever they need to go. And so if a woman has a, let's call it an active sex life, she's commonly referred to as a town bicycle in the sense that everyone gets to go take a ride. And it's incredibly derogatory and awful because men get celebrated for this, um, the same behavior that women are shamed for 
Yeah. And so we thought that the best way to sort of take the power back from this like fairly awful derogatory term is to make fun of it. Yeah. And to like <laughs> lean into the idea. And so that's sort of like one half of choosing the name. And then the other half is like, we really believe in inviting women to come do these things. Like not necessarily like we don't want to inspire women. We want to like actually invite them and make things approachable and make things accessible. And so the idea of like, we want to create this community space where everyone's invited to come take a ride, basically. Yeah. So no, sort that's... of a dual fun meaning <laughs> that people get really really concerned about if they don't know that we know the meaning <laughs> yeah yeah because i because i realized i was like esther what's the next plan for you the town bicycle and then i was like Whoa. oh god oh no that's not you knew what i meant the website oh. yeah no that's amazing and i i noticed on your website you mentioned if people have stories to tell or you know if they want to write you know write about their experiences um bikepacking or or cycling um you or like share photos or whatever like you've invited people to also contribute um can you kind of like speak to that really quick as we're like wrapping up i think we just want a community space where everyone yeah. sees themselves as something they or as a place where they can fit in just like we don't want to just tell the stories of the fastest people racing or the people doing the most epic adventures like we want to tell stories that someone who's just getting into bikepacking can be like, hey, that person was just like me. And if they did it, I can do it too. Or like along those lines that like no one feels intimidated to like by the stories we tell. Like we tell stories of amazing women doing really rad stuff, but we also tell stories of stuff that's relatable to a, a wider population. Yeah. yeah. I think. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, we want stories of like all ages and all types of people, like however people relate to their bike. We want to be a place, a platform for people to be able to share that um, because there's probably somebody just like you, whoever you are, that maybe is afraid to get started or maybe doesn't feel like a cyclist or maybe doesn't feel seen. But by like reading your story, whoever's story, yeah. Um, whoever submits a story to us that we can post on our website, like maybe that will cascade, you know, that person to feel seen and invited and then it'll go on down. Cause there's women of all ages and all shapes and all sizes and all colors uh, out there doing awesome things on bikes or doing everyday things on bikes, which is cool. And that's what we want to celebrate. Yeah. Well, and Alexander, I know I mentioned this uh, when we talked of, years ago at this point but um i have three daughters and mm-hmm. when i've seen them and even today we rode our bikes to the coffee shop down the street that was our big adventure yeah. um but i see them on the bike and i don't know what it is and it's hard for me to describe but it's this freedom that they have like you know, when you're a little kid, there's so many constraints and you'd feel like you're not in control of your own destiny or whatever. And then I see my kids and my daughters on their bikes. And even when there's like, they're like trying to avoid leaves. That was the game today. They're like, let's, if you hit a leave, you lose a hundred points. And I'm like, how many points do we have? Like I'm trying to keep up. And, but I see them doing that. And 
to me, that's what like makes me inspired about it and about what you all are doing because you get on a bike and there is this freedom. And when you, especially for you all who are just, like I said, phenomenal athletes and cyclists, and you have the knowledge from experience, but at a certain point, you didn't have that knowledge. Like you were new, just like anyone else. And for you all to share these stories and make them seem relatable to anyone starting off is so huge to me. And I just want to thank you all for starting this because I think, um, I think, and I'm hopeful that it just grows and grows and grows. And I, I just think it's amazing what you all are doing. You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And my daughter told me she wants to go bike packing. She like legitimately <laughs> said that two days ago. And I'm like, yeah, let's figure let's do it. Out. Let's do it. Yeah. Not now. It's November, but sometime. <laughs> But yeah. So anyways, thank you. Um, where can people find your, like everything that we've been talking about? Uh, the website is thetownbicycle.com. Nice. And we are not high enough on the Google searches to be able to type in the town bicycle yet without, um, are you sure? Questionable content. I don't, <laughs> well, but I typed I it checked. in today. You were like, <laughs> did it come up? you were like three or four down. Oh, oh yeah. But maybe yeah. it's cause I, I looked up the town bicycle before for your website. My mom once was trying to find it when she when we first launched and she typed it in and she called me up she's like, Esther, do you, do you know what the town bicycle means? <laughs> yes, yes, mom, I know. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, the town bicycle.com. And then we're also on Instagram at the dot town. Wait, yeah, yeah. Bicycle at Katie, you say it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's at the dot town dot bicycle. Also, one more thing, like Esther, you 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 said that you were the grandma, which I don't buy into whatsoever. And here's why is because <laughs> last time you and Scott were out here, you were like, hey, we should go for a run or something like cool. And I took you up our my like local whatever tiny little five mile loop up on Mount Galbraith that I do. And I was like, that was a good adventure to take Esther and Scott on. And then the next day I see on Instagram that you had biked up Mount Evans. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, there's no way she thought Mount Galbraith, the tiny little mountain was cool. <laughs> it was, it was gorgeous out there. <laughs> Anyways, you're awesome. And all of, all of you are awesome and you all inspire me. So thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll have to catch up again at some point for sure. Definitely. Yeah, thanks, Chris. This was, it was fun to catch up again. All right. That wraps up this week's episode of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Um, huge thanks to Esther, Katie, and Alexandra. That was amazing. Like I said in the podcast, like I'm just very inspired by their project, uh, them as athletes, and really what they're aspiring to do. I mean, what they're really trying to aspire people to do is like step outside your com their comfort zone and really try this activity, bikepacking, that they have found so meaningful in their lives. And I mean, isn't that wonderful? Like, isn't it just wonderful when you meet people who are trying to spread that goodness, right? Like they obviously like come out of the desert or come out of the mountains or whatever from these huge trips or even the small trips where they just go and camp and have fun. 
Like they come out from those and they walk away with these wonderful memories, uh, these life lessons, or just this overall feeling of awesomeness and goodness. And they're the type of people that want to share that with others. You know, I just think like to me, that's obviously like a huge part of my value system is sharing that kindness, sharing that goodness with others. And when I see it and recognize it in other people, like there's nothing like it just makes me so incredibly happy. And so that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to inspire people to get out there, you know, and it's I mean, like they said, it's intimidating. It's intimidating for everyone. Um, And, you know, they went into it, but it's especially intimidating for women to just go out and take their bikes and go camping. And they're here to share these stories, which will hopefully make people see like, oh, like I can do this too. You know, I can go do this as well. And I want to go bikepacking so bad. And my daughter, my oldest is like, dad, when are we going bikepacking? You keep talking about this. And I really want to do it. And I dropped the ball this summer and I felt terrible that I dropped the ball. Um, but as soon as it warms up, I'm going to take her bikepacking and I'm going to um, let her be inspired uh, by all these stories. Um, these three are sharing uh, on the townbicycle.com. So go to it, go to the website. Uh, Alexander just put up, um, her Arizona trail videos. She kind of edited all of her, um, videos that she took on her iPhone throughout, uh, into a shorter video to, for people to check out, you get to see what the Arizona trail is like, what it's like to bike 800 miles, (laughs) uh, what it's like to carry your bike across the grand Canyon. All of that is super cool. Um, and I have a longer thing I want to talk about, and I don't know if the outro is the best part, uh, best place for this. Um, maybe I'll talk about it at some point in the future, but essentially, essentially, um, I somehow have accidentally taught the best lesson I think I've ever taught as a teacher. And it's all about embracing a beginner's mindset. And this idea of, it's, I think it's Shoshin, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but it's like a Buddhist concept concept of embracing a beginner's mindset. And I'm doing it with my leadership class. And the premise basically is they all drew these skills out of a hat on Monday. And we're spending the whole week trying to learn these skills. Like I have kids like juggling, playing the spoons. Um, shout out to Abby, the spoon lady, who's an incredible talent. Uh, but playing the spoons, I have kids, uh, learning how to Irish step dance and break dance and, uh, bucket drum and mime. Basically I'm like starting a circus, I feel like, but, uh, (laughs) they're all bought in. They're all bought in and they've, they're already like, I've told each group today. I'm like, you're already better at this skill than I am easily. I have no idea what I'm doing. And you spent an hour and a half and you're already better. And the idea that I'm hoping they take away is like, this is just a process. Like learning something is just a process. You try, you fail, you learn from the fails, you try again, you fail again, you learn from it, so on and so forth. And once you're okay with that, and once you're comfortable getting uncomfortable, um, what's going to happen is 
you're going to be able to actually apply that to something you actually want to learn this time. <laughs> like they're like, you know, Mr. Ward's making them learn Irish step dancing and they're enjoying it. But maybe next time they want to learn, you know, how to um, play guitar or how to do surgery in med school or something. And I'm like, you're just seeing the process right now. You're seeing how it works. And this is a superpower for you. Um, so I'm, I'm very inspired by them. Honestly, I'm inspired by these 13 year olds taking this on doing the non-talent show. They're going to perform uh, at the end of the week. So they have a week to learn a talent. And then on Friday we all perform and we all are terrible at it, but actually pretty good at it surprisingly. So um, I want to share more about that in the future because it's been a really cool week. Um, but it's got to find like the right guest or the right podcast to share it on and things like that. But I do think about it when I think about bike, uh, bike packing and I think about, um, this website there that these three women are creating the town bicycle, because there's a lot of things that are barriers, you know, um, I listened to this awesome Ted talk about how you can learn anything in 20 hours. And there's the idea of frustration barrier, grossly incompetent. When you feel grossly incompetent and you know it, like feeling stupid is a barrier for us sitting down and doing the work. Um, but once you embrace that kind of feeling stupid or feeling like a newbie, embrace the newbie mindset, you can actually go on and learn anything. So anyways, just a weird way to end the podcast this week. Uh, something I've been thinking about as it pertains to uh, what we talked about on the show. All right. Uh, we will get back at you next week.